How's it going, dog? Yeah, it's alright. How about you? Just got off work, um, like 40 minutes ago. Well, before we get into that, what the hell are we doing here? And what is this that we're on? Uh, this is uh, Project A+, Plus, also known as the Ezra Miller Defense Hour. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Hunter, you're Hugh. That's correct. Um, Project A+, Plus, did so I say that? What is Project A+, Plus, aside from also being the uh, Ezra Miller Defense Hour? It's a film show. Okay, so ostensibly Project A+, Plus is a show about uh, films, and the project of its title also ostensibly denotes um, the idea that we engage on multi-episode projects about a particular cinematic topic. Which we have done sometimes in the past. We've done it sporadically. Technically, we've done it before. I think that qualifies. On and off, on and off. We did name the podcast before we even arrived at that concept, I will say, because like the first handful of episodes are just, hey, we watched a movie this week. We've retained that to some degree, too. Yeah, we have. But usually there's... uh, So when we do do a project, usually the episode is split between a new feature, a recent release, usually something that's dumped onto Netflix, and uh, the project itself, which uh, occupies the back half of the episode. Or more, because it's usually longer than the the feature segment um as we often encompass a couple of films at once but we decided to take that we've decided to take the show into an exciting new direction isn't it the same direction but you know more sustained yeah but there's a specific theme to the like projects that we're going to tackle <laughs> but there were themes to the previous projects yeah, this is like a project that'll last us for the rest of our lives <laughs> presumably so it's the same direction just the journey is longer yeah but uh, our new product is we're going to determine scientifically, easy to a scale and averages. You can't argue with those. The director with the worst filmography of all time. I mean, we, just, we decided to inaugurate this, um, I don't know. Project. Uh, Journey to Hell. Yeah. <laughs> with uh, one of our favorite objects of obsession. I think we can agree on that. Mm-hmm. We've tackled before... In the past, in our um, instant classic episodes on Chasing Amy and Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. We're talking, of course, about the director, the writer, the raconteur, the actor. Jason um, Mewes? Always related to Jason Mewes. Is he? Yeah. I didn't know they were cousins. No, they're brothers. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Did you really believe that? <laughs> no. Okay, good. Uh, anyway, uh, and that that's thats uh, Kevin Smith. That's who we're going to start with. Oh, Kevin Smith, right. The other one. The silent one. Si- silent Bob himself. Silent Bob speaks. That's the name of the series. <laughs> <laughs> so we're starting with Kevin Smith. We've got some other great directors lined up. Um, and we're not doing, you know, directors who we think who are like your stereotypical bad directors. We're not doing your like uh Uwe Ball, know, Uwe Ball like yeah. or Ed Wood. Because there might be some enjoyment that might be had out of that. There might be some enjoyment in, in these directors too. But uh, they're not really I think we both agree that someone like that is not 
uh, necessarily, you know, that, that's not that painful to watch at the end of the day. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're determining the scientifically worst uh, director's filmography for us specifically. You know, your mileage may vary. It's, it's the beautiful science of Project A+. <laughs> um, so we're often targeting directors who have received some acclaim in the past for their efforts, right? They're usually people that aren't, like, dismissed or treated as, like, trash directors. Kevin Smith is, like, the obvious choice. Yeah, although I don't, although I don't think he quite fits in with uh, a lot of the other directors that we'll be focusing on. I'm, su- I'm uh, sure on that it, at the end of the day, he probably won't rank that higher or lower, you know. No, because, like, we, we have a genuine perverse fascination for his work and his life and everything about him, really. But uh, the, the, let's, uh, I think we could just say the next uh, series we're going to do is going to be the Fellows of Cameron Crow, who neither of us have a fascination with or enjoyment to yeah, the slightest. Yeah, and, and I think Cameron Crow, along with a future entrant, Kenneth Branagh, perfectly summarized the, yeah, that's the, the that's type the spectrum of uh, filmographies right there. that we're, we're targeting that really encapsulate the pain that we have in store. Very middle of the road, you know. Stuff. Middle brow, often. <laughs> Now, I'm also going to announce this as part of this project. I've decided that for every director that we do, I'm going to buy a piece of merch related to them. Really? Yeah. Better you than me. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to spend too much money on it, obviously. It'll be like 20 bucks. Um, Yeah. We'll we'll see what comes out of this, uh, you know, this first foray. But Kevin Smith's uh, first couple of films, because on this podcast, we're going to tackle his debut feature, his much acclaimed debut feature. Uh, Clerks. Right? Mm-hmm. And we're also going to tackle Mallrats. But that's not all we got in store for you today. It's not? Uh-uh. Why? What else did you watch? <laughs> um, the same thing that you watched. <laughs> Clerks and more rats and nothing else? Uh, I, don't, I don't like this bit. What bit? I don't like this bit. Go on, tell us what else you watched. <laughs> and I'll uh, let you know if I watched it as well. <laughs> Just now. <laughs> uh, it's a Netflix. It's, it's, a, it's, it's exactly our wheelhouse, which is, again, to inaugurate the series of pain, we watched a, a painful film. It's a Netflix sci fi original. Uh, starring Ryan Reynolds, our enemy. <laughs> and it's directed by someone who could well be a candidate for this project of having the worst filmography in history. Because <laughs> I was just looking at it and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sean Levy. It's going to get worse with the release of the third part of a, a, a specific mm. franchise that we've featured before in this uh, podcast. Yeah. Uh, that, that's We watched the film... Uh, was it called the Adam Project? Is that right? The Adam Project, yeah. Uh, originally titled, or at least the first version of the screenplay was titled, Our Name is Adam. There's a tidbit for you. You say so. Right, but that's not all we offer on Day Plus. We also offer, you know, parasocial relationship, where you get to know the uh, your, uh, you know, beloved friends and, uh, and hosts, me and you. I am here. What have you, you been up to recently? What have I been up to recently? Not a, not a great deal. 
Still working. You bought you bought tickets to come to the United States. <laughs> That's correct. Why am I coming to the United States? For my upcoming uh, nuptials. And a special in-person uh, episode of Project A Plus, right? Sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. The first ever in-person episode of Project A Plus, where we occupy the same physical space. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. What else has been happening? I don't know. <laughs> I got a new job. You got a new job, but we were on me. I feel like your life's been pretty static recently, I'm not going to lie. Mm. Yeah, I got nothing. You can talk about your new job. Nah. Let's get didn't right we say into that? that? Like we, we already talked about it last episode, didn't we? Yeah. Let's just get right into the meat of the, the stuff. Alright. Young me, me so what the what the hell was the Adam Project deal? Uh, well, it was a, a, originally a screenplay titled "Our Name Is Adam." <laughs> oh, interesting! Someone did some uh, Wikipedia research. <laughs> And it was uh, in developmental hell for a number of years because uh, Tom Cruise was originally attached to this project a decade ago. Did you know that? Do we have another Gemini man on our hands? We, we may indeed have another Gemini man on our hands because there is de-aging in this film as well after a fashion. Oh, yeah, there um, is. Wow. Oh, my God. I completely forgot. About this. this is the best part of the movie. <laughs> it is the best part of the movie. Um, but anyway, this is The Adam Project. Uh, as I said, it was originally supposed to be a Tom Cruise vehicle circa 2012. That would have been better. Um, then it got canned and eventually picked up by... <laughs> and then it got Ryan dug Reynolds out of the trash. And his, uh, frequent collaborator, Sean Levy. Mm, and the greatest... Frequent or one time? Is it multiple times, aside from the upcoming Deadpool 3, that is? Let's check. Prior to this, at least. He directed Free Guy, I know that much. Let's see. Hmm, I think uh, Free Guy might have been their first collab. Right, so that's kind of the meet cute. Uh, so this is The Adam Project. It's a story about uh, a Oh, kid. wait, let's see. He was also a producer. He produced Arrival. Do you want to know what the Adam Project is about? Or? I want to see if he collaborated with Reginalds before. This is important. <laughs> oh, he's also an actor. What the hell? Yeah, I know. He was, he was in a film featured on Mystery Science Theatre 3000, which you may have seen. I probably haven't. I uh, was also well-known for directing lots of episodes of Stranger Things. Yes. And on the back, on the back uh, of his work on Stranger Things... Um, he has signed a four-year deal with Netflix to develop future shows. So that's something to look forward to. Yeah. Also, something to look forward to, the uh, gum that I'm going to put in my mouth for no recording. <laughs> um, so what is The Adam Project? Uh, it's a film about a kid named Adam. And he's visited by a man named Adam with very similar mannerisms and quips. What? It's him in the future? 
So it turns out that um, Ryan Reynolds, as an adult man, is from some dystopian future where time travel technology has led to some sort of um, dystopia. They liken it to Terminator at one point. Hmm. He's travelled back to the past to rescue his girlfriend and save the future. His wife. His wife, Zoe Saldana. This is Avatar Gamora herself. Yeah. And <laughs> usually um, she's known for you know doing uh, <laughs> one of the future will be called uh, gr- gr- <laughs> green face or blue face. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so circa 2022, <laughs> which is where this film is initially, uh, set young Ryan Reynolds father has passed away in a car accident. So they end up having to travel back to 2018 when he was still alive to stop him from accidentally inventing time travel and save the future. And Kath- Kathleen Keener is a, is a bad guy. Is that enough? Yeah, I guess so. And she's 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 chasing after Ryan Reynolds to stop him from. She's t- chasing Amy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want another pass at that? <laughs> chasing Ryan. <laughs> uh, all right. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> What what did you make of this? Um, I felt like this 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 felt like like it was like white noise. <laughs> like I felt like I lacked the uh, part of my brain that was required to like process it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like staring at it, you know. Uh, it felt like you know like a generic movie product. Like I, I was like watching. It felt like watching nothing. <laughs> I can't really say I like hated it or anything. It just felt like. I mean, there are parts of it that I hated. There are some funny bits too. Like unintentionally funny bits, but overall, it's like this is just nothing. Like it, I felt nothing. It didn't make me angry. It just was like you know bland. I don't know. Yeah, it was like what you feel like if you're on antidepressants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a reasonable analogy. <laughs> so I was kind of expecting this to be like. You know, completely torturous, like some of Ryan Reynolds' other films. Like, uh, you know, Deadpool 2, <laughs> uh, Six Underground. Um, but I, I, I didn't feel, it wasn't that torturous, you know. Even if he does have the same, like, quip style. But it does feel like a little more restrained in this. Because <laughs> it's more sentimental, which is kind of funny. <laughs> mm. I also kind of enjoyed um, Mark Ruffalo's, like, could not give less of a shit performance. Mm. <laughs> it felt like he was almost like asleep at the wheel. I was like, okay, okay. okay. It's kind of like listening to uh, <laughs> Minute Cover Match and uh, What If, you know? It was just like, come on. It definitely had the feel of like, okay, we've got Mark Ruffalo for a couple of days in between, you know, shooting two more important films or something. Yeah. Let's squeeze in all his scenes now <laughs> and get back to the film. Yeah, so what, what did you think? I kind of agree. It, it did just feel like nothing. It, it has the the bones of an old school 
Spielberg film or something else produced by Amblin, you know, Back to the Future or something. But it has that 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 kind of idea of like this this suburban kid who's who goes on a sci-fi adventure, except with the the overlay of quippiness and kind of annoying features that you get with a modern Disney blockbuster. But it really does feel like there's a there's a kind of modern Hollywood playbook entry for pretty much every beat in this film. Yep. Yeah. Um, right down to like the individual arcs of the characters to even the way the special effects are realized. It really felt like a bunch of like particle effects that they'd purchased as assets or something for for um, pennies on the dollar. Actually, I, I thought those uh, like the dissolved effects didn't look so bad. But it looked like something you'd just buy and your effects program would just do for you. <laughs> yeah, they bought the they bought the Thanos, you know, <laughs> back. And like the the lab where they develop the the technology just looks straight out of um, Iron Man or something. Mm, yeah. But um, the 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 de-aged Catherine Kane <laughs> stuff is very funny. Very funny. <laughs> It looks so bad. It's amazing. It looks terrible. Yeah, so Kathleen Keener comes from the future and meets her younger self, so they de-age her um, over the top of a stand-in or something. And it looks terrible, but there's a whole bunch of scenes in the climax at this uh, futuristic lab where she's just standing kind of lifelessly next to herself. Yeah. <laughs> it's really I, weird. I found very amusing. One of the only amusing parts of this film. Also, what the fuck was up with her voice? Well, that's the thing. They don't de-age her voice, so she sounds old in both incarnations. It's not the fact that there's this like weird metallic tone to her voice. Like they tried to de-age it, it just like fucked up. Maybe they tried to do it, but there's like there's like a hoarseness to her voice now that they couldn't get rid of in the younger version. So yeah, every scene that the de-age Catherine Peter in is pretty enjoyable, but. Everything else is pretty painful. I, I really, they, well, I guess it wasn't painful. It's was just like, yeah, like I said, like nothing. I thought the kid was really annoyed. I was, I was happy when Ryan Reynolds showed up. What about Ryan Reynolds hanging out with a kid pretending to be Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> it did have the effect of making me appreciate Ryan Reynolds more. Just it's like, oh, at least it's not this fucking kid. I like the, the, the film's conception of a 12-year-old version of Ryan Reynolds is a kid just speaking the exact same lines that adult Ryan Reynolds would speak. Yeah. Because that's, that's how I was when I was a kid, exactly how I speak now, but just in a smaller yeah, frame. Yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> did, you, did you appreciate uh, being asthmatic that they uh, treated as, asthma with such respect in this film? Well, no, because this is 2022, and those sort of inhalers are pretty antiquated. Like, I haven't personally used one of those sort of inhalers since probably the 90s. Mm. I think they, they might still be being manufactured, but there's been so many developments in asthma technology. I, I did think it was funny that it, it, it kind of just, like, disappeared from the movie. Hmm. I do also want to make mention of, like, one of the wobbly conceits of the plot um, is that uh, adult Ryan Reynolds can't access his vehicle via his DNA signature unlock mechanism because he's been injured. So that's why he has to take the kid along. It makes no sense. Like, why wouldn't you control for that if you were designing that system in the future? Like, yeah. oh, what if a pilot got injured? What, they just can't get back into their spaceship ever? <laughs> <laughs> there was one scene that I enjoyed, um, ironically, obviously, where um, Jennifer Gardner plays the mom and she like, goes on a date. 
<laughs> and Kid Ryan would also sound like weird wine, which is just like, uh, you know, make good choices tonight. <laughs> which to oh, me yeah. is like, Bob, make sure you make him wear a condom when he's, you know, <laughs> fucking you. <laughs> I did find the, there was like a, a, a really, uh, I thought it was kind of uncomfortable, like strain of this kid being horny and being excited about how he's going to like, just score a bunch of these in college. It's like, this is this is weird. This kid looks way too young for for that to be his like motivation. You know. Did you have the same thought at the uh, at the outset of this film, like when Ryan Reynolds is trying to explain that he's him from the future or whatever? That uh, it felt like an elaborate kind of pedophile's plot to, <laughs> to go with him on a, on a journey. <laughs> like I can't, I can't say that occurred to me, but I do appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> would have been a better movie if you just cut to like a a, a police report. After <laughs> and they do make a pedophile joke. Do they? Yeah, like while while they're still like getting to know one another, and he's not sure if he's, you know, uh, a, a, a thief or whatever. Mm-hmm. They make a, a show him where you touched me joke. Oh yeah, that's right. And Ryan Reynolds is like, really? You went there? Come on, bro. Pretty annoying. Yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty bad. Hollywood moon. That's right, mama. Hollywood moon. All right, so welcome to Burn, Hollywood Burn. The um, segment of the show in which we survey the news and the goss and the gross. The goss and the gross. How about that? Perfect. Beginning with the gross. Box office hooray. Box office hooray. Box office hooray. The number one film number of the Australian one box office. In the American box office for the weekend. Of or June 2nd June to 5th, 3rd, 2022. Uh, is. I guess. Is Top, Top Gun Maverick. Maverick. They grossing 9.3 million. It grossed 9 million in Australia? In that nine weekend. Po- oh, it, grossed, it grossed 90 million in, in the States. Wow. Interesting. For a total gross thus far of twenty five point five million, mm. and and the states has grossed so far based on the weekends for the numbers from last weekend, two hundred and ninety five million. All right, now I got I got my news story uh, already. If you want to look for one of your own, we can just I can just do it and then you can look for yours while. I'm yeah, just... yeah, do yours first. Spider Man No Way Home extended cut hits theaters Labor Day weekend includes new deleted scenes. Tickets for Spider-Man No Way Home, the more fun stuff version, go on sale August 9th. If nothing else, the announcement will be important to news to a man who set a Guinness World Record by seeing Spider-Man No Way Home in theaters 292 times. <laughs> Fucking loser. <laughs> <laughs> no, there should be there should be an award for not seeing it once, am I right? <laughs> How about this? I'll just read the headline straight from Variety. Hmm. Why was Interceptor the number one movie on Netflix? I'm just as confused as everyone else, says director Matthew <laughs> Riley. How about that? 
Interceptor director and co-writer Matthew Riley tells Variety he's already written a sequel to his gonzo action thriller starring yes. Elsa Pataki. Hell yes. Hell fucking yes. We're, we're, we're there day one, Matthew. We have our blade. According to Matthew Riley, it, it came in at number one everywhere? I don't believe that. <laughs> this is his quote. It's blown me away. I was hoping to sneak into the top ten on Netflix, but... Netflix, but coming in at number one everywhere? That can't be true. No, it can't be true. There's no way to know, so I guess I have to take his word as well. Okay. Well, should we get into our uh, projects this week? Let's do it. Project time, it's project time. Project time, it's project time. Project time, it's project time. It's project time. It's the start of a new project, and I can't wait to start. Life is getting crazy. Come and take my hand. We can watch some movies on a voyage of the So this is um, the maiden journey on our voyage of the damned. Yeah, yeah. This is like our first, our first um, like ring of purgatory. If we're you know going through like purgatorio, <laughs> we're breaking the champagne bottle against the bow of a certain modest feature from 1994, hmm. It's, let's see. Quirks. 94. 94. Wow, the year I was born. <laughs> wow. What, what, did it, what weekend did it come out? Let's see. October 19th. So, basically, that's like three months after I, I was born. So. <sighs> All right. So, who's Kevin Smith? Well, Kevin Smith is this uh, guy from New Jersey, specifically mm-hmm. from Red Bank, New Jersey, mm-hmm. in Highlands. His father was a postal worker, and his mother was a homemaker. Basically, he's he's like one of the original, the OG, you know, uh, independent directors in the '90s. You know, you got your Tarantinos, Hal Hartley, who else? Jim Jarmusch. All these people. This is where they. Jim Jarmusch started in the eighties, pretty early in the eighties as well. Yeah, so suck my cock. <laughs> Previous generation. Wah, wah, wah. See, I got ahead of your joke. What are you gonna do now? Wah, ah. <laughs> nice. Um. Anyway, he's just like a fat loser from New Jersey <laughs> who became a filmmaker. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Everyone is he fucking Kevin Smith is. He went to uh, Vancouver to film school, but he dropped out uh, and made Quirks back to his credit cards with a bunch of his childhood friends. Uh, at least as some part of it. I think I think both uh, Brian uh, O'Halloran and uh, Jeff Anderson like auditioned or something. I don't remember where I read that. I don't know about Jeff Anderson, but I think. Uh, 
bridal hall, right? It was just like an actor that he knew. Um, yeah. So what's Clex? And he based it on his own wife working at a very similar style grocery store. I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Oh no. Yeah, so what happens in the movie? So, uh, the film follows Dante Hicks, uh, who is a manager at a um, convenience store called The Quick Stop. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah. Oh, no. Jeff Anderson was like his, his high school friend. Okay. Um. Anyway, uh, and he's not, he's not even, I'm not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Uh, he's not supposed to go into to work, uh, but uh, his manager, or the owner of the store is like, oh, I need you to come in. Um, and then a bunch of things happened. Uh, let's see. He's got two uh, uh, women who he's juggling. His current uh, GF, uh, Veronica, who is trying to encourage Dante to go back to college or start college or something, make a make a better life for himself. Yeah, because he, he's kind of stuck in a dead end a job. It's, it's yeah. kind of like a, a Dante's Purgatorio. <laughs> you know. Mm. I would describe that joke as uh, your Dante's peak. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my Dante speak. <laughs> Whoa, did you know the woman who played uh, Caitlin died in 2017? Really? Yeah. Is she the one that dated Jeff Anderson? Yeah. Wow. Well, she died of an overdose of morphine. She Yikes. had cancer, amenia, lung disease, and immune deficiency. <laughs> That's too bad. Anyway, uh, so, yeah, in addition to Veronica, he, he has his uh, uh, high school girlfriend who's kind of kind of a slut. Uh, his name is Caitlin. And I, I'm just using the language of the, the film when I say that. You know, I would never say something like that in my personal life. But anyway, their relationship was uh, matched by uh, um, frequent infidelity on her, on her behalf. Um, and Dante's world is rocked when, <laughs> and I don't, I, I, I don't understand why this joke is funny. I really don't. <laughs> they keep on repeating it, but I, I don't know why. I don't know why I'm supposed to find this funny. <laughs> but uh, his world is rocked when in the newspaper it's listed that she's marrying an Asian design ma- major. Um, I find the joke kind of confusing because it's like, <laughs> is it is he a major in Asian design or is he supposed to? Well, it's later revealed apparently that he's he's an Asian man who happens to be a major in design, I guess. I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. I mean, we I did I like talk about this on a previous episode that has been canned, but we can bring it up again briefly now. I contend that there is there is some racism to it, which I'll get to, but the initial joke is just a linguistic joke. It's just like, 
the specificity of saying Asian design major is the joke. But then racist stuff kind of emerges around that. Yeah. Like they make jokes about his surname being saying past yeah. tense, as Dante yeah. says. One of the things that, that I also remember is like, she talks about him being really traditional and that she wouldn't have to work, you know, it, it playing into yeah. that kind of stereotype. <laughs> what what Michael Crichton book does that remind me of? So anyway, so yeah, you got your typical uh, virgin horror dynamic, but uh, it's also revealed that Veronica is also a bit of a slut. They're all whores. Yeah, it's the horror-horror dynamic. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dante is appalled at the fact and, you know, last time I watched this film, I was like, this is so stupid. I, I, don't, I, can't, I, I, I can't relate to this behavior. This is never something that's bothered me in, in any of the relationships I've been in. Um, but I will say that now, like, okay, this is totally believable reaction for even a guy, like, uh, you know, traditionally-minded man now. I can, I can imagine having this, this. This reaction seems realistic to me. I don't know if you agree with me on that. Well, I don't doubt that there were people who might react the same way. Certainly. And I think one of them is Kevin Smith himself. Yeah. So he made I think that's another movie clear. about this exact same <laughs> subject. Chasing Amy is kind of an attempt to like exercise that that particular issue within himself via the character portrayed by Ben Affleck. Via art, bro. Via art, yes. But yeah, yeah. So I, I, I don't think it's unrealistic, no. I mean, it makes it makes him come across like a like an asshole. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that wasn't but, the intention yeah. of, of the film originally. Um, you know, what's also unrealistic is that Brian O'Hara is acting. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is unfair. Just like it's unfair to single out Moses Ingram for Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> it's unfair to single out Brian O'Hara for Quirks. You know, almost all the actors are terrible. It's, it's not a him thing. <laughs> Uh, I think, yeah, I think both um, uh, Marilyn uh, Gilwadi and Lisa Spoonhour, who play Veronica and Caitlin, uh, respectively, are also pretty bad. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, wait, so who plays Veronica? What's her name, sorry? Uh, Marilyn Gilwadi. Okay, so she is... The, the main issue with her performance is it's just under-rehearsed. So it's clear that she's just trying to remember her lines for the first bunch of scenes that she's in. And then, like, once she has to do a scene where she does know the lines, she's not that bad. Like, she's no worse than Brian O'Halloran or anything like that. And maybe mm. even a little bit better. No, no, she's, she's, on the, she's on the same level as Brian O'Halloran. If not, if not better when she knows her lines. Yeah, which is to say bad, but regardless... Yeah. And I mean, again, a lot of it is, is you know, giving these new or amateur actors just this, you know, endless, you know, mealy mouth, uh, overly written dialogue that's yeah. really hard to get through. I mean, we're getting to our opinions about this film uh, during guess, the yeah. summary. Yeah. What, what else is there to summarize? There's it's nothing just like, hey, yeah, we, 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 talked, we haven't even talked about uh, Randall. <laughs> no, but we can get to him. Randall's his friend, played by Jeff Anderson. Yeah, who's uh, who works at the video store? That's that's like the same. It's like the same company or something. I actually next door. can't figure out the geography of where the video store is in <laughs> relation to the Quick Stop. Yeah, 
No, because it's obviously it, not behind the, the chained metal door that they can't open. Yeah, it must yeah, be because that's the just other the windows. Side of the building? I don't know because it's it's like attached to it, maybe right? Yeah, like it seems they seem to, it's, it's they never implied. they never occupy the same space. It's obviously close together. No, it's very it's very confusing. And uh, you know Brian Brian O'Hara and, or sorry Jeff Anderson or what, what's what the fuck is his character name? <laughs> Randall. Randall is like you know a bit of a a vulgar guy. You know he's a character that character type that pro- crops up in a lot of uh, Smith films. Yes. Um, this one, this one kind of has a, a full cell or in cell dimension too, which I think is kind of amusing. Mm, yes. Because <laughs> he doesn't, uh, you know, he, he talks about having sex, but he never like, uh, he never, uh, you know, has a, he doesn't have a love interest. He doesn't express interest in dating anyone at any point. No, that's um, true. So that's a that's a little unusual. I think that actually heightens one aspect of the film that I that I want to get to, but we'll. we'll uh, We'll set that aside for the. I moment. guess we should let's let's move up to move into our opinions. I think we've summarized it enough. Yeah. Oh, and then uh, Dante gets shot at the end, right? Did I watch? <laughs> yeah, <movie>? exactly. <laughs> so that's the film. That's the film. Um. Now here we so watch Quarks. We gotta we gotta finish talking about Quarks. It's <laughs> <laughs> our opinions of it. All right, fine. Now here for the first, let's say fifteen minutes of this film. I was like, oh my god, I can't watch this again. Yeah. <laughs> when you just... say again, we should once again mention the fact that we did record a previous podcast uh, about yeah. Clerks. Within, within the last year. Within the last year, yeah. So it's not our first radio. No. But because you're, you're just trapped with Brian O'Halloran and... And uh, the, the woman who plays Veronica, and they're just, it's just gabby at each other. She's like, oh, my God, I don't want to watch this. Mm-hmm. I, this is painful. This is, this is pain, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do, I do uh, think that the film has some aesthetic stuff going for it. it it's not a necessarily an intentional aesthetic, but I think I, I quite, uh, I find it quite... Uh, I don't know. I find it, I find it I find it charming. You know, I like the black and white. Especially mm-hmm. when the day when it gets later in the day and it's like nighttime. I think I think it looks really nice. So David Klein, great cinematographer, is, is what you're saying. <laughs> but again, uh, who knows if this is a product of his talent, but it definitely was uh you know, what emerged from the, you know, type of camera and film stock that they decided to use, you know. Yeah, however it happened, the end result is that it has some charm. I will say that whenever um, they decide to do anything more than do the Smith special of just planting the camera down and not moving it, I was like, I hate this. Mm. <laughs> like, there's one scene where they're in the car, and the other, I was like, oh my god, this is torture. Or yeah, he, he, like, he basically is doing shot reverse shot without cutting the camera. <laughs> yeah, he's just kind of whip panning to each of the talking heads back and forth for each of their lines. I liked that actually. I said that last time when we were tried tried to record this, and I uh, stand by that. I do not like it. I think that's like one stylistic flourish that I haven't actually really seen before, um, before Clerks at least. I do not like. Yeah, before and after Clerks, I do not like it one bit. I respected it. I don't respect it. I don't like it. It's almost the only evidence of Smith like coming up with a deliberate stylistic choice that is unique to him mm. i can't really think of any other examples mm. me neither 
So it's kind of his most ambitious moment cinematically. <laughs> and it will be his most ambitious moment for the rest of his career, presumably. We'll see, we'll see. Yeah, I guess we will. I guess we will. Yeah, so for the first 15 minutes, you weren't enjoying um, uh, Dante and, and Veronica's uh, exchanges. You kind of felt that there was some charm in the cinematography yeah. and the aesthetic. As soon as, as, soon as uh, Jeff Anderson comes on screen as uh, Red, I'm like, okay, here we go. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Now we're cooking with fire. Yeah. Because <laughs> unlike uh, uh, Dante and uh, Veronica, he can handle he can handle the Smith stuff. He can do it. He can. He absolutely can. He can sound almost natural. Yes. And the character the character is a total asshole. But I think it, it works. I liked it. <laughs> I think he's, he's good in this movie. He's the, he's the best part of the movie by, by a, a large fortune, I think. Hmm. So what did you make of the rest of the film, even Anderson aside? Uh, I, I enjoyed it after Anderson came into it, honestly. I was like, okay, yeah, this is fine. Mm. <laughs> it definitely lost that painful aspect. I mean, am I happy that we're watching it so close to when we uh, saw it uh, last? Maybe not. But uh, I, I think it's amusing. You know, it's, it's kind of charming. It's got a, it's got a nice, it's got, it's got good vibes, you know? It's not particularly funny. <laughs> I mean, I do enjoy the bit. I think it's it's such a insane way to like resolve the romantic plot of the movie. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> what does it resolve? <laughs> it's like what what purpose is it? Doesn't this weaken the like? Uh... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> anyway. Isn't it? Doesn't it weaken the realization that Dante has about how he wants to date Veronica if, like, <laughs> Caitlin is, like, uh, sent into a mental hospital or whatever? Hmm. And it's just an insane plot twist. I don't know what's going on. So you liked it? I, I th- it's, it's, it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable, mm-hmm. I think. I, I enjoyed watching it. I'm not going to lie. What did you think this this next uh, time, this the second go through? Well, I was I was dreading having to rewatch this because the last time we saw it, at least the last time I saw it, um, for the previous attempt at uh, discussing Clerks on Project A Plus, I really did not enjoy that particular <laughs> viewing of the film for mm. whatever reason. Obviously, I'd seen it a, a few times before growing up and liked it then, um, but I did not like vibe with it. Uh, that particular point, and we did we did dedicate a lot of our um, discussion last time to, you know, ragging on um, Brian O'Halloran's performance in particular and some of the other actors as well. And he is terrible. So um, our boy uh, Patrick Willems, mm. who uh, I, I think you agree is our generation's Manny Faber, right? He's our generation's Kevin Smith. Yeah, certainly. Um, he dubbed. I think it was Clerks Two. An ode to mediocrity. One of his more astute observations, I think. Mm. I, I would go a step further and say that everything Kevin Smith has ever produced is an ode to mediocrity. But in the case of Clerks, it's an inspiring ode to mediocrity. So, like you, I actually had an okay time uh, this go around. Yes. And yes. and I think I think Clerks is a surprisingly unified work and it really does stand apart from the rest of uh, Smith's filmography in that regard. 
it's 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 like you take an early Linklater film, you know, such as the much cited inspiration <laughs> for this slacker, but make or it good. A, a Jarmish feature, right? And you leech it of any pretense, any hipness, any ambition. Mm. <laughs> so it, it becomes the sort of film a jaded convenience store employee might actually make if given the chance, you know, which ties neatly into the plot of Clerks 3. But the funny part of Clerks 3 is the idea that you would do that as like, you know, a 48-year-old man or something in the year mm. <laughs> 2023 or whatever, and that anyone mm. would give a shit. Mm. Uh, but anyway, the reason it does like work as a truly unified statement is that, you know, the milieu of, like, the dead-end job at a convenience store, its point of view, the world it's presenting, is is perfectly matched by its technique. Mm. Um, yes. Up to and including the performances, like, even the flubbed lines or the missed cues at the beginning of scenes that, that exist in the final product, the under-rehearsed mm. takes, the spatial incoherence that we've touched upon uh, in regards to we don't even know where the... <laughs> Like the video store is supposed to be um the the kind of scrappy amateurism first film quality uh, and the the labored dialogue we've talked about as well there's kind of a harmony there with all those elements kind of working in concert and that yeah. roughness i think takes the edge off the screenplay mm. and um it lends some charm to smith's you know inherent incompetence with with staging a feature there's kind of a life to the way it was it was shot, and I, I'm really I'm really at, at least I'm willing to gamble. Uh, we haven't seen all of Smith's films, but I've seen I've seen a few. I, I don't think they'll I will ever again say that there is life in the way this film is shot about another one of his features. Aside from <laughs> this. No, and um, I completely agree with you about Jeff Anderson. Even more so than Jason Lee, I would argue. I think he's he's Smith's ultimate mouthpiece. Yeah. And we'll get to um, Jason away. We'll yeah. And I, I I agree that somehow he manages to shape an actual convincing character performance. It's not just that he can sell the dialogue, which he actually can quite well, but there's even something convincing and even uh, dare I say faintly moving in mm. the way his, like, ultimate attachment to Dante is revealed. I think that's why it doesn't really matter how the you know, the other romantic subplots are evolved. Obviously, mm. the point of the film is actually their relationship, not Yeah, they should have been, they should have been gay. <laughs> so, like, everything else, whether you call it homoerotic or not, doesn't, doesn't really matter. It's their connection. Mm. And that is what is actually at the heart of the film, like, their, their conflict. And that um, is true and, of... Uh, Smith's next couple of movies too. It is, yeah. It's a thing. It's a it's a theme that that he returns to a lot. Um, Jason Lee inherits the mantle in the next two features. Yeah, basically playing a very similar character, like the motor mouse, sometime agent of chaos, who actually yeah. deeply loves his friend underneath it all. But but even though I think Jason Lee is also um, quite adept at being able to um, get his mouth around the laboured dialogue. Yeah. I think Anderson is, is actually the best at it, and and this is the best realization of it. I don't think Anderson mm. is especially good in the subsequent films that he appears in. Well, we'll see. But we'll see, bro. This I, is, I this was, is received I was, wisdom. 
What's the last time you watched Clerks 2? Uh, I've only seen it once, and it was like, you know, around the time it came out, so... So, you, this is like, that's like 15 years ago or something like that. Yeah, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I was, I, was, I was quite impressed with him this time around. That yeah. it, and it actually amounts to more than just dialogue. It actually, actually felt like a realistic character to some degree. Yeah, yeah definitely. I feel like I've known people who are exactly like this, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, I actually do want to give some credit to Brian O'Hara in this time around. Do you? <laughs> it's undeniable that he gets acted off the screen by Anderson and a couple of mm. the other side characters that appear. There are some, there are some okay performances by some older actors who, who get a couple of scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he does, like, really capture the mediocrity that, that is this film's uh, ultimate statement. Mm. You know, he's not, he's not a particularly attractive guy. No. He's not much of an actor, but he sells no. that mediocrity and he sells the central idea of like a convenience store clerk reluctantly having a shitty day at work. Definitely looks right. A lot of his physicality is right. Yeah. The main problem I have with his performance is the wide readings, you know, they just yeah, feel well, very I like... I really didn't mind that this time around. I, I felt mm. that, that that kind of added to the whole in a, in a funny way. Hmm. I, I, Cause, I, don't, I don't agree with you. I mean, the ultimate reason I think this is an inspiring work, again, in a way that is unique among any of Smith's films. Yeah. I, can, I can see why someone would watch this and be excited for the future of Kevin Smith films. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it definitely feels yeah. like, you know, you could improve on this and take this stuff that's good about the movie and... Uh, yeah, sharpen it. Yeah. As opposed to what actually happens. Spoiler alert. Well, um, whoa, whoa, bro. <laughs> no, we don't know yet. We, we might be proved I, wrong. Yeah. I mean, I, I, know how, I know how I feel about wall rats. <laughs> I, I mean, like, inspiring to other aspiring filmmakers, right? Mm. And I think this is more inspiring even um, if I can put myself into the vantage point of someone watching this uh, in 1994 mm. and wanting to be a filmmaker. Which this is did. potentially more inspiring than, than, you know, Slacker or, or a Jarmish film or any of the other low-budget American indie films of the same yeah. vintage. Yeah, it's achievable. <laughs> yeah, well, it, not only is it achievable, like, you, you, not only do you think I could do that, as you might watching Slacker, but I could do that much, much better yeah. than this. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why it's ultimately so inspiring. It's it's a very approachable work. It doesn't it doesn't have the edge of a Jarmish or a Linklater, and I think that um, even for non filmmakers, you know, um, if you can imagine like being into the shit the characters are talking about back then, Star Wars and Marvel comics, and watching this, it would kind of feel like one of your friends could have made this film. Yeah. There's yeah, nothing challenging things, about it. Those things had not uh, achieved the cultural dominance that they had. No. No. The only, the only thing that, like, differentiates it or maybe makes it less approachable is that if you were into Star Wars comics and... I mean, if you were into Star yeah. Wars and Marvel comics at the time, you probably weren't as, like, inexplicably attractive to beautiful women as, as Dante <laughs> and uh, in, in the next film, Brody appear to be somehow. Well, I kind of, I kind of, yeah, I kind of, I, I, we'll have to, we'll have to fight about this. But I mean, Jason Lee's more attractive. Jason Lee's an attractive than, guy. Especially, he, I think, I think he looks uh, very attractive in, in, like, a 90s way in, uh, in Mallrats. 
He does. He does. I'll give him that. But he's like kind of like an odious personality that you don't understand yeah, why yeah, a yeah. woman would like. But fall that, in love that was with like that was like I feel like that was like a uh, a, a romantic comedy type in the 1990s. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I, it didn't feel. Uh, I was like, okay, I, I could. I I read this as attractive. Like I get it. You know. Hmm. And I I mean, you said you said it wasn't particularly funny, but there are like maybe two or three jokes that I do think land pretty well. <laughs> Oh wow! Real high up batting average there. I can't remember all of them. I can only remember one of them off the top of my head. But there's a bit, you know, after he's found out that his girlfriend had uh, sucked thirty-seven dicks, as it were, including his own. Uh, thir- yeah, thirty-seven includes. Um, there's a couple of funny or, or, or like okay Jeff Anderson lines around that, and then there's a bit where like she storms off after an argument, and he he mm. he shouts out after her at, at the door of the convenience store, try not to suck any dicks on the way to the car park. Uh, and a guy yeah. standing there like looks around and follows her. I kind I kind I kind of I kind of like that. I think that's a decent enough. It's, joke. it's okay, and it's decent, it's decently uh, you know executed too. Yeah, and there there are one or two like decent jokes like that. But there are there are also um, jokes that I was like, oh, this this fucking sucks so much. Yeah, but most of the like dialogue based, you know, puzzles are terrible. I I hate the I hated the like, oh, these are the different kind of consumers. Like, what the fuck is up with those sound effects? What was happening? Yeah, I was talking about this in uh, fucking Chasey or not Chasey Navy and uh, more rats, more rats too. Um. Anyway, I think we've uh, have we exhausted our conversation on quirks. Anything else you want to say? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I don't really have anything much um, to All say right, about see, it. What's but... your uh, what's what's your rating? Uh, so we're doing a, a ten point scale, right? Yeah, with decimals. With decimal points. With decimals. Um, yeah, so it's a hundred point scale, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably give this um, seven. Seven point two. Seven. Seven point two. Wow. Seven point two. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What well, are you giving the it? rating that I would give it would be a six point three. Mmm. Six point three. And what does that make our average? You. We can tell you. Six point eight. Six point seven five is the right. average rating for quarks. So we're off to a rip roaring start. There we go. <laughs> Morats. Sweet Pretzelvanner, Eden Prairie Center, where you can spend an afternoon. He's blonde and violent, he's fat and silent, she's keen to try him someday soon. What is a Morat, Hugh? So after the surprising success of a scrappy little feature called Clerks, a big mm. studio named Universal Pictures took notice. Mm. Was it Universal? Uh, I don't guess. Let's see. I'll look it up. Keep on, keep on talking. So, um... Gramercy Pictures. What the fuck? Kevin Smith is offered the chance to make a follow-up to Clerks on a much uh, bigger yeah, scale. Yeah, Universal. Universal, you got it. It is Universal, yeah. And uh, that film transpires to be more rats from the following year, 1995, right? Yeah. Quick turnaround. Yeah. Uh, that's impressive. It takes us, what, how many months, how many years to make one podcast? 
I mean, it probably took a little while for Clerks to get distribution. Yeah, to release so. and everything. Yeah. But that's still, that's still pretty good. Yeah. What was the turnaround on Mallrats and uh, Chasey Davies? That's only 97. Mm. This dude fucking pound. Yeah, dick. he rocks. He's great. <laughs> he rocks his cocks. So now he's now he's playing in the big leagues. You're playing with real money. And he's going to make a... Um, a 90s uh, moderate budget action comedy. Mm. No, just comedy. Action. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. <laughs> action comedy. A gross-out comedy? Mm, I guess there are some gross-out parts. Yeah. I'm just trying to situate with comedy. other films of uh, the 90s. Like Biodome or something. I don't know. <laughs> Biodome. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, this, that's more rats. Um, <laughs> well, you didn't even introduce some... it at all. Okay. All right, you ready? Yeah. It's about a guy. Oh, called, we should we uh, should specify that we're talking about the extended cut of the film. Yes, we should indeed. Which is a significantly different plot than the uh, theatrical version. Yes. Um, it's about a dude called T.S. Quint, played by Jeremy London, of Morat's fame. <laughs> Re- rehab's, rehab Zone. <laughs> oh, he's also on, uh, he was on Seventh Heaven with uh, Stephen Collins, our favorite recording character. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so he plays T.S., <laughs> I, I like my, I like my joke. <laughs> due to a due to a um, a mishap at some place, um, his girlfriend breaks up with him. A mishap? No, he, he, he there. Uh, I don't really get the. It's, it's kind of confusing. <laughs> it's it is, a little confusing. It? <laughs> but basically, it makes it look like he's gonna assassinate the governor of the state. Accidentally, yeah. At a live at a live show that where he's gonna get a where her her dad's gonna get a grant, uh, and they kind of break up for that reason. Yeah, her dad's a TV producer, and her dad hates uh, TS already for no reason. <laughs> um, but um, his hatred grows into seething rage after uh-huh. TS inadvertently foils his attempts to get money out of the governor mm. yeah. through a series of comic mishaps. Yeah. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It does matter. This is the plot, bro. Yeah, but it the, the doesn't matter, like, the specifics of it. We'll leave some joy oh, for the viewers to discover for themselves. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, he, he splits up with his, his girlfriend. Um, he still wants to do her. His buddy, Brody... Played by Jason hmm. Lee, also breaks played up with ex- his girlfriend. Extravagantly by Jason Lee. Also breaks up with his girlfriend, played by Shannon Doherty, the biggest name in this film at the time. <laughs> Bigger than uh, Stan Lee. Maybe so. Mm. So Brody decides to cheer up his friend and himself by having a good old day at the mall, the mm. same mall 
where Teyes's ex-girlfriend question mark father is staging a dating show for TV executives featuring yeah. his daughter, which was a, a he's like a he's like a local access guy, I guess. Yeah, he wants his daughter to to be the the woman on a dating game mm. show thing. Yeah. Um, oh, she was on Beverly Hills 90210. Oh, you didn't know that? Uh, no, I did not. Oh, wow. I guess she was before your time. She was my time. Yeah. So they're going to have fun at the mall, but uh, maybe each of them are also going to somehow win back their girlfriends as well at the same time. And Jay and Tom and Bob are there too. And, uh, anyway. and a good time was had by all. <laughs> Uh, Am I right? Am I right? Am I right? Uh, are you going to be disappointed in me, you? Let's see. <laughs> I have to say, I, I kind of enjoyed this film. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot tell why. <laughs> I, I, liked, I liked the, like, vibe of it. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say besides that. Would you have enjoyed it as much if TS was played by... The kid from E.T. and Brody was played by either Adam Sandler or Steve Zahn. Maybe, maybe if he was played by the kid from E.T. I kind of liked uh, Jeremy Wunden's like shitty energy. So yeah, like generic '90s flop top. Yeah, guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I, the movie would be way worse if it was Adam Sandler instead of Jason Lee. Sadly, <laughs> like, that's just that's just a given. I can't imagine him playing that character. This isn't no. his personality at all. No. Um, <laughs> oh, I mean, that's uh, this is off topic, but I, I would I would kill several people to see the version of Collateral where Adam Sandler plays the Jamie Fox. <laughs> Just be fucking incredible. <laughs> but yeah, I thought this film. I thought it was fun. You know. I don't even know how to defend myself or defend that opinion, but I was like, okay, this is going to be awful. I'm not going to enjoy this whatsoever. And the first, like, you know, it's just like, it's just like fucking quirks. You know, the first, like, 50 minutes were just like this shitty opening with all these terrible jokes, you know. But we it's should like, point uh, out that be awful. the extended opening was completely excised for the theatrical release. So as we watched something any, that was- any mention, as was any mention of it, which happens throughout the film <laughs> yeah and when when i started watching this version because i ha- i don't think i'd seen this version before all the missing scenes i've only seen the mm. theatrical version growing up and the film started um and um you obviously don't even see ts or the other characters yeah for a little bit. Was like, like a, a I, very I, I long scene between um, michael rooker and the governor I, yeah i was i was wondering I was am like, i watching the right <laughs> file is that <laughs> what the fuck I, is this I, I had no idea michael rooker was in this well i actually thought i i thought he was extremely enjoyable <laughs> at least in parts i love this scene where he's like naked in front of the tv i thought that was really funny <laughs> I don't think that's in the theatrical cut either. I, I think I read, but anyway, that was like the, that was like the best bit of the entire movie. <laughs> There's this actually quite long dialogue exchange between him and the governor that yeah, is just it terrible. Sucks. Oh, it's unwatchable. It's like I'm not surprised that someone told him to fucking cut this bit. Not let alone like, the whole sucks. scene. It's just it's just airless. It's like the worst way to open a film. It's like Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. What are we in for? 
Yeah. And then it doesn't really improve with um, still, the production of Jeremy still, London. Ju- it's still just like Quirks. We get the Jeff Anderson type character coming in. And from memory, the opening of um, the theatrical version, you, you get to Brody pretty quickly. So, <laughs> as you as you fucking should. Yeah, and and uh, certainly as soon um, as soon as Brody's on screen, he's beat it ass. So he's talking about Coxes. I was like, hell yes, this is what I want. You know, <laughs> and certainly for the type of film that this oh. is sort of trying to be, um, ninety four minutes is a much more manageable length than the version we watched, yeah. which goes slightly beyond two hours. But I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I honestly didn't mind it. I kind of like just like hanging out, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll agree with you. Once we're at the mall, it's like and yeah. we're just getting a bunch of like shitty. We're, we're scenes. at which which mall, Hugh? The we're Minnesota mall? mall. We're at Eden Prairie Center. In, That's right, in suburban Minneapolis, which yeah. I've been to. Which I've been really to. holy yeah. shit. Yeah, man, it's a very that's a recognizable. I'll have to go to when I get to yeah, yeah. <laughs> Minneapolis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. we have to spend a day at the mall, man. I, I think, I think, uh, yeah, of course, you got to spend the day at Eden Prairie Mall. I yeah, think definitely. I saw Dune at that mall. <laughs> I so I wasn't even. I know you told me that uh, it was filmed in uh, Minnesota, at least, if not Minneapolis. Um, and I wasn't thinking about that connection, but what I was thinking during this film is like. I'd love to hang out at a mall. This looks fucking great. I'd love to just like, yeah. hey, let's go to now the mall. Now today. it's like, oh, 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 now the wife has been sucked out of them. But yeah, it, it does a good job capturing like the vibe of the mall. I was, I was into it. I liked the mall, man. Yeah, I liked. I also enjoyed the like very uh, aged like uh, sex politics that come up in this. Because mm. <laughs> uh, you know, not only do we get like a, a very awful prison rape joke. Yeah, but uh, there's there's uh, oh <coughs> there's a frequent mention uh, blase mention of um, uh, uh, underage sex, which I thought thought was extremely disturbing. Mm. <laughs> like it was just like it's just so casual. It's like what what's going on, man? Yeah, I thought I thought the implication that Jay and Sire and Bob had slept with the underage. Girls to be really disturbing too. <laughs> very, Was there an implication of that? Choice. I didn't actually notice it. Yeah, yeah. Because she's like, uh, when, when she's filling out the logbook, um, uh, when um, T.S. and Brody come over to her and start fucking with her, she's like, okay, I'm just adding Jay and Silent Bob here, you know? <laughs> so, which, is, which is fucking insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, obviously the emotional throwing, like, who cares? Like, the anti seeds a little rough, but I was it like, sucks. yeah. 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 I was like, yeah, okay. Okay. I I, I like this. I like, I like this movie. <laughs> it's not that funny, you know. It's not but it's it, not really funny at all, but it's kind of like, it's a vibe. The, vi- the vibe is right. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> it feels like the sort of, like, shit that if you were flipping through channels on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, you just toss it. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think it does capture like the the fun like you know vibe of the ball, mm. and I think I think Jason Lee you know he totally embodies his character like perfectly. Yeah, and he'd never acted before, which is even more impressive. Yeah, 
similar to Jeff Anderson. He's played a total asshole, you know. Yeah. But I think I think he's great in this role. Like, he feels totally lived in. Like all his lines sat, like feel totally like real and natural, you know. Mm. Uh, unlike uh, Jerry, what he makes no impression whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did enjoy his hair. His haircut was amusing because that's not a haircut that you see anywhere anymore. You know. No, thank God. <laughs> he is a step up from uh, Brian O'Halloran. Yeah. So, so what? What do you think of Kevin Smith and David Klein's work now that they're given a proper budget to work with? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't doesn't feel like anything. There's like no style in this movie at all. <laughs> like, it's extremely flat. It looks like yeah. absolute shit. <laughs> I, I I honestly didn't think it looked that bad though. It looked pretty bad, but like it it kind of suited again the mediocrity. Yeah, the of shitty mall. Yeah, like it's a yeah. shitty mall film. It's like a shitty teen I, comedy. I, I, I enjoyed some of the hijinks too. You know, I I, I like Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the scene where he pulls out the fucking like Batman. I was like, okay, come on. <laughs> Did you did you enjoy the Stan Lee uh, cameo, bro? That they yeah, got inaugurated that that fucking dog shit. His performance wasn't too bad, actually, for like a celebrity cameo. We should watch uh, the Larry Larry Cohen film he has a supporting role in. Stan Lee. Yeah, the ambulance. I think it's called. Really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Have you not heard of this movie? No, I haven't. Yeah. Um, but the fact is, Larry Larry Cohen is intriguing. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's called the ambulance. Uh, it's it's about like a I, I don't know the plot, but it's Eric Crawford's in the main role. He's like a comic book artist. Wow. And Stanley, I think, is playing uh, himself. Maybe I've always wanted to watch it. It sounds very uh, it sounds very up my alley. Yeah, the ambulance. I think it's from ninety. It's from nineteen ninety. Thingo, um, what's his name? The late Neil Adams made like a, a weird grindhouse kind of film starring his mm. kids. In the late 70s. Yeah, that's, that's strange. And a bunch of other um, comic book people. That's really weird. Yeah, we should... We should oh, it James Earl Jones? It got, it James Earl Jones? On Troma, I think. Fuck yeah. We gotta watch this. We gotta watch this. What? Anyway, the ambulance. James Earl Jones is the like, other big character. Really? <laughs> Eric yeah. Roberts. Yeah, we yeah. do gotta watch this. Agreed. <laughs> uh, Side quest. Anyway, what... Is anything Should else? Should we do branching uh, side quests if they come up? No. Not a great uh, idea. Side quest. Shut, shut the fuck up. Alright. And Donald Trump made a cameo in a deleted scene. Wow. Wow. Oh, it's, it's got a blurry from Shout Factory? Oh, I gotta get this. No deleted scene. Side scenes. quest. <laughs> we could be our next, like, uh, uh, <laughs> like, main feature. <laughs> Actually, I do want to talk to you about that, uh, but we can talk about that after we finish. Talking All right. about but yeah, I, 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 I was never, I was like, this movie's going to be torture. Like, you know, watching it's two hours long. That's like too long. But I was, I was totally into it. I mean, again, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's not a good movie by any means, but I like the vibe. I like the vibe more than I like the vibe of Quarks, honestly. <laughs> Quarks is obviously a, a more inspiring film. It's a more like, it's, it's a more, it's a film that like completely captures the zeitgeist, you know? Mm. But uh, I definitely I like Mallrats more than I like Corks. So I'm not gonna lie. No, I, I definitely wouldn't go that far. <laughs> well, I, I already have. 
Is there anything uh, else you wanna? Any, anything else you wanna bring up? Obviously, um, the film's like sexual politics are repugnant. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's an ongoing strain. Yeah. Certainly, certainly during this era of Kevin Smith films, I don't I don't know if it ever stops, but there is like an obsession with female infidelity and promiscuity. Yeah, that infects every character. He's not that good at writing uh, female characters. I don't think. No, or male, or male characters. I, in fairness. There is actually one thing I want to say about Kevin Smith as a director in his defense. Go for it. Go for it. There are a couple of moments, uh, at least one in Clerks and one in More Rats, where there is an, an effective, at least, stage direction, if not staging, within wow. the geometry of the, the screen. Okay, um, zero, bro. That I think actually heightens the scene. So, in Clerks, if we can, we can go chronologically, there is the exchange between Dante and Veronica, which, which sucks and is badly performed. Mm. But the way it's staged with them sitting behind the counter while Dante is painting Veronica's nails, I think mm. that's like a decent kind of detail for that scene, like a decent way of... Um, having the actors do something that, that feels like you mundane and lived bro. in while they're so delivering this dialogue, which is bad. Um, and there is a scene which is better performed in this film um, with Joey Lauren Adams, T.S. and Brody in uh, a women's uh, clothing store while she's, like, trying on mm. underwear while they're having this exchange. Mm. And I thought that was fairly effective because I could see. Uh, yes. I guess. I guess. <laughs> Could you? <laughs> no. no. Um, <laughs> but I, I thought find that was that like... bit where uh, Silent Bob kept on peeping out would be really weird and uncomfortable. I mean, like, it's a, it's a, I guess on paper, I don't know if it would be a whole lot, but the way it's actually realized in the film is effective, maybe largely due to the way Joey Lauren Adams actually performs it. Mm. But, you know, giving him, giving him some credit. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think we've exhausted this this movie. Indeed, I agree. And it was exhausting. <laughs> no, mm -hmm. I, I like this one. Okay. Uh, anyway, <laughs> having said that, my rating is six point five. <laughs> um. I think I actually agree with you there. I would give it wow. six point five too. Wow. Well, the average, therefore, is 6.4. Actually, no. Scratch that. 6.4. 6.4? Mm hmm Just because you got the average to be different? Yeah, now the average is 6.45. Are you happy? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's our first, uh, that's our first, uh, you know, we, we cr we've, I don't Left the harbor? I'm, I'm, I'm fucking done. I don't want to do that. I don't want to make another fun. Uh, yeah, we left the harbor. We're en route in our voyage of the damned. Uh, I don't know. Have anything else to say? Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>